Good morning, Thrive Church, and welcome to Church Online. My name's Brian, and I'm the lead pastor of Forward Church, located in Portsmouth, Virginia. I just want to stop and say thank you for tuning in today and for letting me share a message from God's Word with you. If you will, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark is one of the Gospels that goes Matthew. Mark is the second book in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 9. Now, as you turn there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt in your life like your life should be at a different place than it is currently? It's a silly question, right? Because most of us have felt that way at some point in our lives. Like maybe you, you feel at your job that you should be further along than you are. Like you feel like you should be a manager or you should be a regional manager or, or an assistant to the regional manager at this point because you've worked for so hard and you've been there so long. Or maybe it's not your job. Maybe it's your school loans. You're like, man, I should have these school loans paid off by now. Um, and I know if you said amen to that, you're probably going, uh, I should have these school loans paid off by now. Or maybe in your marriage, you're like, man, we should be further along. We should be buying a house by now, or we should be further along with paying our house off by now. Or, or, or maybe you say, we should have kids by now, and you, you see the life that you have, and it's not the life that you thought you would have. Or maybe you do have kids, and you're like, these kids should have moved out by now, and my God, when are they going to grow up and get up out of here? Like, I, I don't know where you are in life, but the truth is, we've all felt that way before. Single people have, have felt, man, when am I going to be married? And sometimes on the flip side of that, married people have been like, when am I not going to be married anymore? <laughs> I've talked to some married people that think that till death do us part is a challenge and not a vow. See, we've all been in those places where we've felt like our life wasn't what it should be. We have this picture in our heads of what our life, what our lives are supposed to look like. And, and a lot of times what we see in our head doesn't really match what we see in our lives. It's human nature. We all find ourselves in these places. As a matter of fact, in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 9, what we see is we see a story of a, two different sections of Jesus' disciples. See, Jesus had 12 disciples, and out of those 12, often he would take three of them, who many people call his inner circle, and he would take them away to these kind of special moments. And in Mark chapter 9, Here's what we're going to look at today. We see a special moment with these three disciples at the top of a mountain. As a matter of fact, Mark 9, chapter 2 says this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. That's the three. That's his favorites, right? After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. See, if you're like me, you spend a lot of your time wishing that you were some of the crowd that gets to go to the top of the mountain. See, Peter, James, and John, this inner circle of Jesus they get to experience this amazing mountaintop encounter. The reality, though, for most of us is like, we're not the ones who get to go to the top of the mountain. Like the top of the mountain is reserved for those people that are like crazy close to Jesus, it seems like, right? Like the top of the mountain, that's where you have people like Pastor Kevin or, or Pastor Mark or Pastor Keith. Those are the guys that go to the top of the mountain while the rest of us are stuck at the bottom of the mountain. And not only are we stuck at the bottom of the mountain, but look at the characters we're with. We're stuck with Judas right at the bottom of the mountain. Like, 
could we not be stuck with anybody worse than Judas? There's Thomas, and it's like, Thomas, can you believe, do you think Jesus is ever going to let us go to the top of the mountain? And Thomas is like, I doubt it. I really highly doubt it. See, we, we, we tend to be stuck at the bottom of the mountain and wish that we were at the top of the mountain. The reality is everyone wants to go to the top of the mountain, but life has lived at the bottom of the mountain. In my house, we've got this thing going around uh, that is actually, I think, in my personal opinion, worse than COVID-19. And here's what that is. My wife is obsessed with the Hamilton musical. Now, if you've seen the Hamilton musical, God bless you. God loves you. And, and so do I. But my wife is obsessed with it. We watch this thing and, and she's going around singing all the songs from the musical. And like she's actually got my kids singing some of the songs from the musical. And I'm like, oh, can we please get away from Hamilton? My Jesus, take the wheel, drive me somewhere else. But this funny part in this, uh, this musical is uh, there's a lady, Angelica, and she sings this song about how she'll never be satisfied. See, I think we all can identify with that. We all get these places in our lives where we're just never satisfied. And we ask this question, like, what will satisfy me? Am I being satisfied? Like, would I be satisfied at the top of the mountain? Why am I not satisfied at the bottom of the mountain? Would I be satisfied if I got that promotion? Would I be satisfied if we had children? Would I be satisfied if I got married? We ask these questions. And often we get the very things that we think will satisfy us. And after a, a handful of weeks or a handful of months, we're not satisfied anymore because what once was the top of the mountain has now become the bottom of another mountain. So I think that we're asking the wrong question. I don't think that the right question is, am I satisfied? I think the right question is this, am I satisfying the mission that God's placed on my life. See, each of us have been called by God, uniquely equipped and given gifts and talents and opportunities to reach people for Jesus. We've been called alongside of God Almighty, empowered with His Holy Spirit to live out His mission in the world. Sadly, we miss that mission whenever we're focused on what we don't have and we're focused on what's not happening in our lives. And I found this. When I'm more worried about what's happening or what's not happening in my life, I'm not happening in my life. You see, it's not about the events that's going on or the events that are not going on. It's about, is God going on inside of me and can I work out what God's working in me? And so I don't think the right question is, am I satisfied? I think the better question is, am I satisfying the mission that God's placed on my life? See, what we find is while these three are at the top of the mountain, the other nine are left at the bottom of the mountain with the regular folk like you and me. And, and here's what we see happens. Look with me a little bit further in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, and here's what you're going to see. Mark 9, 14. This is when Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus and, and uh, Peter, James, and John, they're coming down the bottom of the mountain, and here's what you see. Mark 9, 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. 
So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. See, the truth is, life is lived at the bottom of the mountain. And while most of us long for these mountaintop encounters, these mountaintop experiences, there are people with real-life needs at the bottom of the mountain. So you're, you're like me. You, you've had these moments in your life where it seems like everybody brings their problems and everybody brings their issues to you thinking that you can help them. Well, guys, we've been called to serve the needs of humanity. We've been called as followers of Jesus. If we want to be great, Jesus says this, we need to be the last of all. We need to be the servant of all. See, in God's kingdom, the way up is down. So if you want to go up the mountain, you've got to learn to stoop down and serve humanity. Guys, that's the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is that Jesus left heaven and stooped down to humanity in order to save us. And so if you're going to hear me today, there are a handful of things that I hope to leave with you. And the first one is really this, live in the moment. The moment is all we have. Live in the moment. Now, for your moment, it's probably going to be at the bottom of the mountain because the reality of life is life is lived at the bottom of the mountain. Even those three disciples that went to the top of the mountain with Jesus eventually came down a few days later. See, life is lived at the bottom of the mountain, and I want to encourage you, live in the moment. Love your life, not the life that you think you should have. Love your life, not their life, not somebody else's life, not somebody else's marriage, not somebody else's career. Love yours. Live in the moment. What would it look like if we really slowed down and were intentional about living in the moment. Like seriously, stop and ponder that. What would it look like in your life if you were really willing to slow down and take advantage of every moment that you have? I think of this funny story from the book of Acts in the New Testament, and it's the story of Jesus ascending into heaven. See, the gospel goes as this. Jesus uh, went to Jerusalem. He died on the cross for the sins of humanity. He was our substitute. He was buried, and then three days later, by the power of God, he resurrected. He rose in bodily form. And for 40 days, he walked around the earth, resurrected, teaching his disciples about the kingdom. And in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, you read this awesome encounter where Jesus says to them, you guys are going to be my witnesses. You're going to go to all the earth. You're going to go to all the world and be my witnesses. And here's how you're going to do it. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 1 says that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then the Bible says something interesting, that Jesus is taken up. He ascends into heaven while the other disciples are standing there watching him. Now, I want you to just get this picture. Jesus is on this mountaintop, the Mount of Olives, and he's taken up into heaven, and the disciples that are there hearing this commission from Jesus are just staring up into heaven. And this funny thing happens. The Bible says an angel shows up. Now, when an angel shows up in the Bible, pay attention, because it doesn't happen often. And in the Gospels, you see angels showing up to tell Mary that she's going to uh, be pregnant. You see angels showing up talking to uh, uh, Joseph, saying that Mary is going to be pregnant and don't, don't get rid of her, don't, don't divorce her, but this is a God thing. And So when you see angels show up, it's really significant, really important. Well, here we see angels showing up, and here's what the angel says. Why are you standing here staring up into heaven? Jesus is going to return. Go into the city and do what he told you to do. And I think that that's what happens with many of us as followers of Jesus. 
We stand at the bottom of the mountain and we just look up to heaven. We look up to the top of the mountain. We look up to the life that we think we should be living or the ministry we think we should have or the marriage we think we should have or whatever it is. We're standing there staring up and it takes an angel from heaven to say, stop staring, go do what you're called to do. Now, I've been called a lot of things in my life. An angel has never really been one of them. But if you'll let me be an angel today, I'd love to be an angel to say to you, stop staring at the top of the mountain. Live in the moment. Do what God has called you to do. See, it's easy for us to stand and stare and wish and hope that something would happen. But y'all, hope is not a strategy. I can hope I'm going to lose weight. But if I don't actually start eating right and start exercising regularly, my hope is not going to turn into anything. And so live in the moment. It's interesting to think about what happens with these disciples. They're at the bottom of the mountain and a father, a desperate father, brings his son who is possessed by a demon or at the very least is being attacked by a demon. And and this demon is causing these terrible things to happen, causes his child to go into vicious seizures, causes his child to fall down and writhe about the ground. He says that often it throws him into the fire or throws him into the water to try to destroy him. Think of the desperation that this father has. Yet he hears that Jesus could make a difference in his life. And notice what happens. When he goes to bring the son to Jesus, Jesus is nowhere around. Jesus is at the top of the mountain, remember? But who is around? The disciples. See, I think many times we get so focused on the fact that we're not at the top of the mountain that we forget Maybe Jesus has left us at the bottom of the mountain in order to serve humanity. Guys, the ultimate reality is that we're never going to be at the top of the mountain on this side of eternity. The top of the mountain where Jesus and all of his glory resides, that's eternity for us. That's heaven for us. And so if you're living for the other side, if you're living for the top of the mountain on this side of eternity, you're going to miss what ministry opportunities God has for you at the bottom of the mountain. This desperate father comes to Jesus and Jesus isn't there, but the disciples of Jesus are there. Now check this out. If you were to go back in Mark's gospel to Mark chapter 3, here's what you'd find. Jesus calls his disciples and he chooses the 12. And as he chooses the 12, it says he called them that they would be with him and that he would give them power and authority over unclean spirits to go out and preach. See, these nine disciples that were at the bottom of the mountain had already been given everything they needed from Jesus in order to meet this need at the bottom of the mountain. Now, I just want to stop for a second, if you'll let me, and preach just a little bit. Is that okay with you? See, Jesus has already given you everything that you need to serve at the bottom of the mountain. If you're a believer, if you're a new covenant follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you. You have the power of heaven on the inside of you. You have the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life, growing through your life. You've got love and joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control. You've got the ability to be led of the Spirit. You've got the ability to have the peace of God. You've got the authority and the anointing of God on the inside of you. See, you have everything you need to live at the bottom of the mountain. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus has left you at the bottom of the mountain where you are, not so you can wish you were at the top of the mountain, but so you can make a difference in the life of a desperate father. 
Maybe Jesus has you at the bottom of the mountain so that you can not strive to get a promotion, but actually be sought and light to those unsaved, non-church co-workers that you have. Maybe Jesus has left you at the bottom of the mountain of your marriage so you can learn what it's like to love sacrificially, so you can learn what it's like to live together in harmony, so you can learn what it's like to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Maybe, just maybe, you've been equipped for what you're going through and what you're dealing with now. We've got to learn to live in the moment. But check it out. The Bible says that when Jesus comes down from the bottom of the mountain, he finds the disciples arguing with the scribes. Now, ain't that just like church folks? Now, I can laugh about this because I, I am a church folk. Oftentimes, it seems like we've been called to go on mission, but instead of living out the mission of God, we get caught up arguing with other people. Come on now. Don't get quiet on me because I'm preaching really good right now. These disciples are caught arguing with the scribes. Now, the scribes are other religious leaders, and more than likely they had come from Jerusalem, and they're kind of checking in on Jesus, kind of trying to be the religious police. But at any rate, the disciples of Jesus failed in the mission that they had, and instead of trying to figure out what to do to make it right, they were arguing with the scribes. Let, let me tell you something. Very rarely in life can our arguments bring about the results of God. Very rarely in life can we argue our way into the things that God would have for us. See, they're spending their energy deflecting. They're spending their energy arguing. They're spending their energy doing fleshly things instead of trying to figure out what the problem is. See, I've learned this in life. In life, it's a lot easier to fix the blame than it is to fix the problem. And what God has called you and called me to do is not be people that fix the blame. He's called us to be people that fix the problem. Now, I'm going to tell you, as we're entering into election season, many people get election infection, especially Christians. And we get on our social media, we get on our, our Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is, and instead of trying to fix the problem, we tend to fix blame. We talk all the time at our church, Forward Church, about uh, how many Democrats will be surprised that there will be Republicans in heaven. And many Republicans will be surprised that there will be Democrats in heaven. And many independents will be surprised that they might even be in heaven right now. That's just a little joke. I'm just teasing. But the, the truth is, we've got to stop being so polarized. We've got to get to this place where we're not willing to argue with the scribes. We're willing to seek God to find what the solution is. And so the first thing that I told you is live in the moment. The second thing that I'm going to tell you is this. Put more energy into fixing the problem than you do in fixing the blame. Put more energy into fixing the problem than you do in fixing the blame. Listen to me. The problem's going to be there whether you fix the blame or not. I think about this whenever I go on a retreat or when I go on vacation. I'll turn my phone off. I'll tell my people a line that I learned from your pastor. I love you, and if you've got an emergency, call 911. They can handle it better than I can. Here's what I found. When I turn my phone off and I go on these retreat or vacation, whatever it is, there's going to be emails in my inbox whenever I come back. So as soon as I turn my phone back on, guess what? I can deal with those, still, those same problems. See, if you argue or deflect or pass the buck or whatever it is, the problem's still going to be there. And so I just want to encourage you, spend more energy into fixing the problem than you do fixing the blame. What would your marriage look like if you really took time to spend energy fixing the problem and not fixing the blame? What would your relationship with your kids look like if you spent the majority of your energy trying to fix the problem and not fix the blame? 
See, this is, has huge implications for our lives. Guys, imagine this. Jesus comes down from the mountain and catches them arguing. What if Jesus were to come down from the mountain and catch them praying? What if Jesus were to come down the mountain and catch them trying to find a solution? I think the story would be a little bit different. Now, thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave this son here, in this, this father's son, in this, this mess. Jesus actually casts the demon out of him. And this is another sermon for another day, but I want to tell you something. God can fix the stuff that we mess up, right? Come on, somebody. Like, I'm thankful that God can fix the problems that we have and the mistakes that we make. But, but check out what happens here. Jesus shows up and he fixes the situation. Look with me in verse 29, uh, sorry, 25. In verse 25 of Mark 9 says this, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Aren't you glad that Jesus fixes the things that we make mistakes of, that we mess up? Jesus comes down from the mountain with the other disciples. He sees this commotion happening, and his disciples are ineffective. They're deflecting. They're, they're arguing. They're not really trying to solve the problem. Yet Jesus comes in, and he heals this boy. He comes in, and he casts this demon out. But the story doesn't end there. The story ends with the disciples asking him in private, what did we do wrong? Now, I've learned in life that what separates winners from losers is, is really a handful of things. And one of those things is found right here. People that are true winners in life. But don't ever forget this. People that are true winners in life are people who are willing to honestly assess where they failed and find ways to improve. They're not people that pass the buck. They're not people that go into denial and act like nothing's wrong. They're people who honestly assess what the problem is. But look at what Jesus does. Jesus says this kind only comes out by prayer. What's he saying there? Here's what he's saying. You boys haven't been praying, have you? If you had been praying, then the authority that I had already given you in chapter 3 would be fine. You would be able to deal with this problem at the bottom of the mountain had you been depending on me. See, I've learned that it's one thing to walk with Jesus. It's a totally different thing to depend on Jesus. In many churches in America, we've got a lot of people who are walking with Jesus, doing the religious thing. They show up on Sundays, they sing the right songs, they dress the right way, and they can say the right words, but they're not fully depending on Jesus. So Jesus said, you're at the bottom of the mountain, boys, and this problem, you could have solved it, but it only comes out by a deep dependence on me. You've been slacking in your prayer life. You've been spending more time arguing at the bottom of the mountain. You've been spending more time wondering why you're not part of the three that's at the top of the mountain than you've been spending seeking after me. I want to encourage you today. Don't just walk with Jesus. Depend on Jesus. So I said that it's important for us to live in the moment, and it's important for us to make sure we're putting more energy into fixing the problem than fixing the blame. The last thing I want to leave you with is this. Don't just walk with Jesus. Depend on Jesus. Because that's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that I don't have 
the strength in myself and neither do you to overcome my own sinfulness. I can't jump high enough to get to heaven. I have to trust that Jesus will take me there. I have to trust that it's in his death for me that I have the life that he intended for me to have. So don't just walk with Jesus. Don't be content just being part of the crowd. Be one that chases after Jesus. Don't just walk with him. Depend on him. See, the gospel teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. That's you and that's me. And the way out of that sinfulness is to have a desperate dependence on Jesus. I want to ask you, how's your dependence today? Do If there were reality camera TVs following you and watching you all throughout the day, would people that watch that show be able to tell that you depend desperately on Jesus? If you're like me, the answer to that question is, well, sometimes, yeah, I do depend deeply on Jesus, but sometimes not as much. And thankfully, there's grace for that, right? Like Jesus comes down the mountain, he finds his disciples really messing up. And instead of chiding them, he slightly teaches them. He gives them this gentle rebuke, right? Like this kind of only comes out through prayer, guys. And he keeps them because he's committed to the process with them. And your God is committed to the process with you. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're watching this message or listening to this message today, I want to encourage you, live in the moment. I want to encourage you, put your energy into fixing the problem, not fixing the blame. But all of that goes to nothing if we don't depend on Jesus. And so maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're watching this. So I want to say thanks for taking the time to, to go through Mark chapter 9 with me. But I want to let you know that one day we will all stand before God. One day we'll all breathe our last. The Bible says that it's appointed unto a man once to die and after that, the judgment. And ultimately, if you want to be one of those that makes it to the top of the mountain of eternity and heaven with Jesus, it comes by completely sacrificing your life, your goals, your dreams, your hopes at the foot of the cross by kneeling and by depending on Jesus. You know, one day when you get to heaven, somebody will tap you on your shoulder and when you turn around and look, you'll be looking into the eyes of someone who you made a difference in their life because you were willing to live in the moment at the bottom of the mountain, because you were willing to fix the problem and not fix the blame, and because you deeply depended on Jesus to make it happen. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share with you. Uh, your generosity has actually blessed Forward Church over the years like nobody's business. Matter of fact, I'm talking into a camera that was donated to our ministry by you guys, Thrive Church. Um, and I'm just going to say this, we would have to save like crazy in order to be able to purchase a camera just like this one. But you guys, out of your generosity, were able to bless us. And as a result, we've been able to impact hundreds of people online, especially during the COVID-19 quarantine situation that we have here uh, in America. We couldn't do that if it wasn't for your generosity. And so you may not even realize but you are giving financially, you are supporting your church, and your church, y'all, let me tell you, is leading the way in supporting other ministries and seeing the gospel go forward. So guys, thanks for listening today, for sticking with me during the message. I pray that God has spoken to you and that you make the most out of this moment as we live at the bottom of the mountain. So stay tuned for some next steps from one of the campus pastors here at Thrive, and we will see you next time. Bye, guys.